Hello, this is Pastor Lute. We hope you enjoy this week's sermon. Our mission is to grow disciples and multiply churches who will glorify God and transform communities. Well, I'm assuming that you guys have been tracking with the news a little bit and just some of what uh, has been going on with uh, the coronavirus and um, even just how um, uh, people are responding and that kind of thing. And so I uh, did feel that we need to take a little bit of time to speak into that a little bit this morning. We are going to cover Haggai yet before this. This is all done. It's a short book, though. Don't worry. Uh, but we do have a fair bit of material this morning that, that we will need to cover just kind of to give you a heads up. But um, first, want to want to talk about the coronavirus. Um, the technical name on the virus is actually sars uh, cov 2 and the disease has been named the Coronavirus Disease 2019, which when you abbreviate it is COVID-19. Okay, so that's, that's where that, that comes from. Um, and, you know, as a church, our desire in all this is to be wise. I mean, we, we want to make good decisions. When it's prudent, hold the course. We want to hold the course. When it's prudent to, to change and make changes, we want to make those changes. We want to be loving. We want people to be safe. Uh, we want people to hear the gospel. We also want people to be alive to hear the gospel. So um, this is this is kind of what we're working with. Um, three things. One is I, I want to read a, a letter to you. Um, I want to give you a couple uh, personal observations and then uh, quickly walk through some strategies on how we can respond to this virus. The the le- and I'm just it's there. Yeah, I just want to read this to you. And the um, we have an MB church in Denver, Colorado, and they uh, the the pastor there, a friend of mine, um, he they they posted some good stuff online. But within their church, they have a member who is. Uh, works for the CDC, Center for Disease Control. And so he wrote up a letter about COVID-19. And what I appreciate about, appreciated about it is that, one, I mean, he is in a knowledgeable place to speak authoritatively on this. But secondly, he has the Christian worldview. And that's an important combination in all of this. Let me read this to you and then just a couple observations and some stuff on how to respond. He writes, um, and you can find this online and that kind of thing. Uh, We have all practiced basic hygiene and infection prevention for years to avoid contracting seasonal influenza, which has significantly more severe symptoms than COVID-19 in most cases. If we all continue these practices, avoid gossip and inciting fear, there should be very little change to daily life. Thankfully, the state has been preparing for this situation for many weeks and is well prepared to address the public health threat Um, They're in Denver, right? So, I mean, Colorado Department of Health is a team working, um, supported by uh, Homeland Security and Emergency Management, to ensure that people have minimal disruption. Uh, Panic, rumors, and misinformation are the biggest threat to our communities right now. COVID-19 is primarily spread through respiratory droplets produced when an infected person coughs or sneezes. People who have close contact, so within six feet, of an infected individual for an extended period of time are most at risk of transmission. There is no, uh, this is no different than seasonal influenza, and the same precautions we take to avoid catching the flu are effective for preventing the spread of COVID-19. So, frequently, thoroughly wash your hands with soap and water for at least 20 seconds. If soap and water are not available, use hand sanitizer with at least 60% alcohol. Um, Cover coughs and sneezes with a tissue and then throw the tissue in the trash. Use your inner elbow or sleeve if the tissue is not available, which is ironic because then we're bumping elbows, right? So 
Let me cough on it first, and then we can, you know, yeah, whatever. Um, Avoid touching your eyes, nose, mouth with unwashed hands. Stay home if you're sick. Revolutionary. Stay home if you're sick. Uh, If your children are sick, keep them at home. You stay at home. Uh, Clean surfaces in your home, personal items such as cell phones, using regular household products. More than 80% of the people who contract the virus will have extremely minimal symptoms. A mild cough, scratchy throat for several days are most common. The virus is respiratory. There are no GI or stomach symptoms associated with it. Elderly individuals and those with compromised immune systems have the most extreme reactions and a slightly higher mortality rate. Roughly 15% of cases diagnosed in this population have required additional care. Children seem to be incubators of the virus. They contract it and they spread it, but they often do not have a single symptom. It is normal to be scared, distressed, or angry when you hear about a disease outbreak, even when you have a low risk of getting sick. Be careful to keep the facts in mind before you allow fear to dictate your thoughts or actions. And ask yourself, um, would you think or do the same thing if this was a different infectious disease like the flu? Would I avoid this social event or gathering because of the flu season? Uh, does what I am doing make people safer, or does it create more fear or harm? So I appreciated that letter. Just kind of wanted to share that with you uh, in its entirety. There's a lot of information out there. I find all kinds of stuff on the tabloids, a.k.a. Facebook, and it's just kind of hard to to wade through all of it. Um, I've probably spent too much time in the tabloids and not enough time just on the CDC website. They've got... They have information um, there on this. Um, Two observations on this. Um, As of Friday, and and, and just so so we can really kind of talk about what we're dealing with here. As of Friday, there were 13 confirmed cases in Nebraska, right? Not 1,300, not 13,000, 13, okay? That's my left hand, my right hand, and one foot, okay? I'm not even on my second foot yet. So, just to be clear, the virus, not yet, the virus is not yet causing us a crisis, okay? Because we're at 13 cases. In some cases, government officials have requested or even banned larger gatherings, so groups of over 250. All of British Columbia, where we used to live, all of British Columbia is forbidden from having any kind of gathering over 250 people, right? So they're adjusting to work with that. Um, The MB Church down in Wichita, their county also said, please no gatherings over 250. So they're adjusting to to work with that. Um, So in some cases, it's government is mandating it. Um, Some cases, the the government is requesting it. But so you you have these large groups that are no longer allowed to meet. Okay, that is not yet causing a crisis. It just means that you can't, like, I mean, introverts are loving this and laughing at the rest of us, right? Right. It seems that there are a lot of cases where organizations going, well, they're shutting down and they're shutting down and they're shutting down, so maybe we should shut down. It seems like the popular thing to do. And they're, you know, and so they're canceling events. Okay, that's fine. That's still not creating a crisis. Folks, I mean, we could literally, I mean, the, the government could say no one can gather in groups of 250 or more for the next month, and we would be fine. That's not yet causing a crisis, Right? For us to be very honest with, with what we're dealing with, what's causing a crisis is people giving way to fear and panic and hoarding and all the above, right? Like, that is where we're having a crisis. If all large groups stopped meeting for the next month, we'd still be okay. Like, that, that, that's not crisis 
um, mode yet. Um, it doesn't justify buying a three-year supply of toilet paper, okay, and all the cough medicine off the shelves. Wash your hands, do your job, do your work, grocery shop when you need it, and if you're sick, stay home. If you're vulnerable, stay home and look out for one another. The other thing, just to clarify, is that um, what uh, some of the other countries are being used as, you know, well, we, you know, we got to be careful because, for instance, Italy comes up a lot, okay? What happened in Italy, we don't want to happen here. Italy's having a rough time. There's, there's a, a part of the country where it's it spread and the health system is, is just kind of giving overrun. And, and so there's a lot of looking to Italy and saying, we don't want that to happen here. So, you know, we're going to take some precautions. A couple things to remember, though. One, out of all the European countries, Italy has the highest average age population of all European countries. Okay? Secondly, they have a socialized uh, medicine system. And I'm not going to try to argue better or worse, but let me just say that it's enough that we, we can't do an apples-to-apples apples comparison between their system of medicine and our system of medicine because it's the culture of the people and how the, 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 the system provides its services is so different. As an example, okay, we lived in Abbotsford for, you know, uh, 10 years, and so our experience was socialized medicine there. When the kids were born... I paid for parking. Like, end of sentence, I paid for parking. That's fantastic, right? Like, that was wonderful. We only paid for parking. Um, that said, we never really found a family physician because they would, there, were, there were limits. You would call up, a, like, a clinic, and you would say, hey, can we come in and meet? And they would say, we're not taking any more patients. And it's not that the schedule is full. It's just that on their roster of patients, it's full. And so it was very, very difficult to ever find a family physician to go get checked out. And so you always have to, like, call around town to see if you can find the one doctor who's taking new patients. And then you quickly got on, on his list as, as a patient. Um, and then that's it. So we, we never really had... Um, a family doctor. And so one of the things tied in with that then is we were always surprised at what people would go to the free ER for because they didn't have a family doctor. Because we were like, you went to ER? Like, I thought the bone had to stick out before they let you in. Like, they let, you know. And so it's, and the other thing just with it being socialized is that it did create this mentality that's free. It's not free. You have to pay for it in huge taxes, right? But it creates this mentality that it's free. And so it's just, it, it creates a different in culture and mindset. And so, and then, because the government has limited resources and finances and can only do so much, they then adjust the services really kind of in response to how the people are treating the system. We had another friend, um, uh, his wife got cancer. Once she was approved, I mean, everything was covered, and they didn't pay a dime. We had a friend of a friend. He wrecked his knee, and he needed an MRI scan on his knee for surgery. He had to wait 14 months for an MRI scan for his knee, right? So you, I mean, it, I, I, and I'm, I'm not trying to, to, to do which one is better or which one's worse. I'm just trying to lay out the case that it is a completely different system in Italy and in China and some of these other countries, and so we really can't do an apples-to-apples comp comparison between what's going on. Now, I'm trusting that the medical people that are running our country are taking that into consideration 
but it's just, it, it's a different system. And if you want more stories, we can give you more stories. I'm sure Helen could give you more stories. We got, we got stories. So anyways, so just remember that, um, that, that, it's, that it's a little bit different. Um, a couple strategies on, on just how to respond to this. To, to be honest, for most of the week, I had a bad attitude about the whole thing. That was probably a sin. I'm confessing that to you now um, and whatnot. It wasn't until Friday morning where I just kind of got my senses about me and finally realized, no way, I've gone about this all wrong. There is opportunity in this. Somewhere, there, there, there is a, an opportunity. Crisis will almost always, not always, but most of the time, will present you an opportunity that you would not have had otherwise. There's a saying in leadership that says, never waste a good crisis. Okay? Same thing. The, the trick is to say, okay, we recognize it's a crisis, but then to be able to view it with, with kind of God, kingdom, scriptural lenses and say, what's the gospel opportunity in this that we would not have had otherwise? Right now, we have gospel opportunities that we did not have a week ago. The trick is to be able to identify them and then to, to, to act on that and, and move in that. Rather than a place of fear, rather than a place of hoarding, rather than a place of shutting down to say, no, no, there's gospel opportunity in this. Let's capitalize on it while we can. Um, on your bulletin, the tear-off section, there's a couple things. Um, there's a prayer. Choose prayer over panic. Great prayer. Um, I would in, in, encourage you to... To look over that, you can just read it direct or use it as a format, that kind of thing. On the flip side, a short list of some ideas for how you can respond with love and serve others. Uh, and then there, there's some ideas. And we stole it from other people. We're not this clever, but whatever. Um, the first one. I've checked in on local elderly friends to let him or her know that I'm willing to make a grocery run now and to keep him and her out of crowds and offer assistance if needed as the virus passes. The, I will officially go on record to say that the toilet paper thing is dumb. Just dumb, okay? Um, and, and so the first part of the week I was mocking it, and, and then I, I had a come-to-Jesus moment. And so I raided our personal stock and all of our toilet paper and Kleenex from the church. The ushers are going to set it back here. If you need some personally, that's fine. The rest is for you to give away. Because we're living in crazy days where suddenly toilet paper is an opportunity to share the gospel. Never thought I'd say that sentence, but thank you, coronavirus. So, we will, I think we've got five or six uh, dozen rolls. Take what you, I mean, if you need it for yourself, that's fine. But, I mean, take it to give it away and try to talk about Jesus and the church as you're handing over toilet paper. All right? Um, same thing with Kleenex. And it's, I mean, it ain't the Charmin Ultra Fluffy stuff. Uh, but it should get you clean. So um, there is there is that. Um, we have people in this congregation. You guys have probably have people in, in your circle of friends who do have, you know, the lung or the respiratory disease, uh, who may have heart disease or diabetes. Like those are three things that were mentioned on the website, autoimmune disease, that, you know, that kind of thing. Call them up. What do you need? Can I bring you anything? I'm, 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 I'm braving Walmart. Pray for me, and can I pick you up something, and I'll call you when I make it out alive, right? Like, um, just touch base with, with people. 
Uh, maybe it's someone who doesn't have a, a church home, right? I mean, this is an opportunity for you to connect with them like, in a way that, that you never have before. Uh, I've donated to a local organization that stands ready to, to help people. Um, I've contacted at least one out-of-town friend to say, can I mail you anything? Uh, I've reached out to at least one uh, family member uh, to let them know, you know, I'm praying for them. Can I, I get you anything? Uh, I've evaluated my own motives, preparation, behavior to make sure I'm not likely to add complexity to my community resources. Um, that, yeah, I am all for being prepared, okay? Like, I'm, that's why we have first aid kits with CPR masks and tourniquets, because you never know when someone might have a heart attack or lose a foot, whatever, right? Like, like we're good to go. Um, Joe would be horribly embarrassed if I showed you what I carried in the Jeep, all right? But... That said, I'm just going to say that what we're seeing, like hoarding is a sin, okay? Um, To intentionally stockpile and and prevent others from getting, um, not okay. Last week we looked at Habakkuk, right? Habakkuk 2 verse 9 says this. Woe to him who gets evil gain for his house to set his nest on high, right? So that would be his house is like a fortress, it's protected, It's inaccessible to others, right? Kind of doomsday bunker type thing. To be safe from the reach of harm. You have devised shame for your house by cutting off many peoples. Right? If you're buying a week's, two weeks, a month's supply worth of anything, it should be because you already have plans to give it away to certain people. Right? I mean, that's that's it. I'm all for being prepared, but the hoarding that, that we're seeing is just, is not okay. Um, I've expressed gratitude uh, and respect to those serving. Uh, I'm praying daily for God to use my hands, feet, and words uh, and life to, to serve others. If our hospital were to get slammed with some kind of crisis, right? This, something else. What's the gospel opportunity in that? What are ways that we can minister to hospital staff, nurses, doctors, maintenance people, even patients, What's the opportunity there that we did not have before? Who's going to recognize it and who's going to act on it, right? Never waste a good crisis. Um, A couple just final thoughts. Um, Right now, for us as a church, I mean, we're small. We're well under the 250 mark. Our plan is is to to keep going. I mean, the the doors are open. Um, In time of crisis, we cannot not preach the gospel. I mean, we've got to stay strong on that. Um, So we're meeting and the doors are open. That said, I've talked with Jody, our housekeeper, um, and we're instituting kind of some advanced protocol around cleanliness and sanitization around the church and bleach this and Clorox that and wipe down that. And if, you know, if we need to get someone in to help her with hours, we will do that. Um, The ushers have updated procedure and protocol and cleanliness. Um, Offering is is a, a place where germs can spread, so... Handles are being wiped down with Clorox wipes, and there's hand sanitizer everywhere, and they just kind of bathe in it before they greet you and and that kind of thing. So uh, we want to be responsible. We want to take precautions, uh, but we are still staying open. So that was the intro. Haggai. Um, If you have your Bible turned to Haggai, uh, uh, it is... um, the second smallest book in the Old Testament, so, uh, and I didn't mark it, so now i got to find it, too. There it is. 
it's okay to use the, the uh, look it up there, the appendix. Um, I, it's, um, I'm, God is clever, for which I'm thankful. It's been amazing to, to reflect on how Haggai even speaks into our current situation and the whole coronavirus and, and all of that. It's just remarkable. I'm also, I am so thankful for our worship team. They pick the songs long before I finish the sermon and yet stuff aligns because they love Jesus and listen to him and it tends to speak into what's going on in life as well too. So if you haven't thanked a worship team member yet, do so before you leave. But don't shake their hands. Um, Haggai. A little bit of history on this. You can put up that, uh, that first slide um, just kind of as a reminder on this, just to give us a, a little bit of uh, background. Um, so here's a timeline. The country of Israel, uh, they have a little disagreement. They break into two countries. The northern ten tribes, they keep the name Israel. Um, and they, um, you'll see them on the, on the top. During that time, then, you have Amos, Hosea, Jonah, Nahum, uh, you know, speaking in, into that space. Um, they are eventually conquered by the Syrians and hauled away, and then we never hear from them again. Uh, down south, Judah, you have the southern two tribes. They break off. They adopt the name Judah. The city of Jerusalem is within uh, Judah, uh, um, and so uh, you'll sometimes hear about that. And, he, and you see some of the—go to the next slide— um, they are eventually conquered by the Babylonians and, and hauled away. But what happens, you see a little thing called exile. They're conquered by the Babylonians and they're hauled away. But the Babylonians are eventually conquered by the Persians. And the Persians have a completely different kind of strategy in regards to dealing with captors. And they were much more kind of nice about the whole thing. And so they allowed and encouraged not only um, these different people groups to worship their own gods, but they actually let some of them return to Jerusalem to, to rebuild some stuff. And so after 70 years, um, a group of people, I think about 50,000, returned to Jerusalem. And first they rebuild the temple, and that's the book of Ezra. And then they rebuild the city wall around Jerusalem, and that's the book of Nehemiah. And so that's kind of what's, what's going on there. Kind of an interesting side note is that when they are hauled off into exile, only the poorest of the poor are allowed to remain in Jerusalem. Those poorest of the poor intermarry with other locals, which is kind of something they weren't supposed to do, but they did it. And then that people group forms the Samaritans, all right? When the, 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 the um, Israelites come back from exile, they want to rebuild the temple, and the locals who, who are still around, the Samar- Samaritans, say, hey, can we help? But the returning exiles say, no, you guys intermarried, and we don't want to have anything to do with you, and, and who knows what all is going on like there. But anyway, so the two groups start hating each other. And so that is why when you read in the stories of Jesus how the Samaritans and the Jews didn't get along well, and it tracks all the way back to this. And I don't know if it was justified or not, but they didn't like each other, and it all comes back to to this moment. And so that's kind of where that conflict or that tension originated between the the Samaritans and the Jews. So Ezra returns, he brings 50,000 Jews to Jerusalem, and they start rebuilding the temple. They rebuild the altar, they start some sacrifices again, they lay the foundation for the temple. Uh, But there was some opposition, there was some frustration, and so the people stopped working. They just kind of got tired with the whole project, um, and they just, they gave up. And so about, for about 15, 16 years, they did nothing. And then what happens is that Haggai comes on the scene, 
And he really speaks some encouragement to the people and to the leaders of that day. There's, there's really kind of four key players. There's uh, Zerubbabel. He's the governor. There's Joshua. He's the high priest. And then you have two of the prophets, Haggai and Zachari- uh, Zechariah. And so um, Haggai is, is a brief book. It's the second shortest in the Old Testament. And it has four sermons. And the guy just dated each sermon so we know exactly when it happened and what was going on, right? I mean, he, um, the, the book begins in the second year of Darius the king. In the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came. Every sermon starts with that line. So we have the exact date that he gave it and then what he said. And that's what we get. We get these, these four sermons. And Haggai is going to call them out, uh, the people and the leaders, and kind of offer a word of, of correction or a rebuke or um, motivational encouragement to go the other way um, on four different things. The first one, so this is chapter 1, uh, verses uh, 1 to 15, so pretty much all, all of chapter 1. Here's their first fault, and that is that they put themselves ahead of the Lord, and ahead of the Lord's agenda. And, and it is amazing to me how there is encouragement to us today, even in times of crisis, it's tempting to put ourselves ahead of what, is, what does God want, what is God's agenda in this, all that kind of thing. Um, the Jews had started to rebuild the temple. Things got tough. They got distracted. They lost the vision. They quit, and they shifted all their attention and their resources and building their own homes and their own wealth. Um, they, uh, yeah, and um, so Haggai makes kind of this call of action. He, he speaks to the, the leaders, Rubabel and, and Joshua, and he gets right to the point. He says the people are making excuses. They're neglecting God's house, um, but it's time to, you know, to get back in the game and, and, and finish this, this project off. Uh, some of the, the houses even had sealed houses, which would have been a luxury that day. Verse 3, Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet, is, uh, is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in paneled houses while this house lies in ruin? We are watching a lot of people, even a lot of Christians, freak out uh, and put themselves ahead of others, uh, ahead of God's purposes, and they're not seeing the gospel opportunity in the crisis that, that we have right now. Charles Spurgeon once said that every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. Those, those are your options. Um, so when it comes to life, when it comes to work and career, when it comes to how we're re- responding to what's happening today, I mean, all that stuff is, is important. Your, your, your job is important. You need to do your job well. But at the end of the day, your job is simply a missionary opportunity for you. And 10,000 years from now, you will reflect more on your stewardship of the missionary opportunity than, you know, you, you got the report in on time or whatever, that kind of thing, right? First and foremost, we're, is, um, it's a missionary opportunity. So um, the first thing that Haggai calls out to him is just that they are putting themselves ahead of the Lord. Second thing, chapter 2, verses 1 to 9. On this one, they, the, the fault was is that they were looking back. They were not looking ahead. 
So we know from the date stamps, this is about seven weeks later. The, the people are engaged. They're starting to work on the temple. Um, then Haggai gets up. He preaches his second sermon. But some people are getting discouraged and they're complaining. And just to be honest, it was primarily the old people. And I'll explain here in just a minute. Bit, but it was, it was the, the, main, the old people had a bad attitude. But the reason is, is because they were old enough that they remembered the glory days of the first temple. Solomon had built a temple. It was the center of, you know, religiosity and, and, and society for four centuries. It was amazing. It was glorious. It, I mean, there was gold and bronze and all of this stuff. And there was a section of people who had lived long enough where they saw that, and they saw what was being built today, and they said the new one is lame, and it's small, and it's wimpy, and it just it pales in comparison to the, to, to the grandeur and, and the awesomeness that we had back in the day. And they were right. The new temple was lame compared to the old temple. They, they were. But they were not exercising faith, and trust in God that he was leading them and that this was going to be an okay thing. And so because they did not exercise that faith and that trust in God, they slid into comparison. And then from that, they went into complaining and bad attitude. What they did not know is that um, Herod, King Herod, around 20 BC, is going to invest a lot of money and time and effort. And he's going to completely overhaul that small temple, and out of the three earthly temples, it will be the grandest of all three of them. I mean, you look at the diagrams, like, it is huge. It is amazing. And that was the temple that, that Jesus interacted with. And just even beyond that, they, they failed to remember that the earthly temple was never intended to be all that. It was simply a shadow of the real temple that waits for us in heaven. And, and the, just, I mean, a shadow is about the, the best way that you can describe it between what they saw on earth versus what waited for them in heaven. So they were, they were spending all their time looking back rather than looking forward, and they were getting depressed about the whole thing. Um, I forget who said this. I, I, I could probably look it up. But um, you are as old as your pessimism and as young as your vision. You are as old as your pessimism and as young as your vision. I've worked with young people who were pessimistic. Yeah, that was no fun. Like, they were miserable to work with. I, I, like, and they just, it was no good. And I have worked with grandmas and grandpas who had the best vision. Fire in the heart. They were amazing. Um, uh, uh, there was a gentleman, um, a passed away of cancer. And in one of the lines that, that I heard from his funeral was that he sprinted across the finish line. I've always loved that line. He sprinted across the finish line. For us to be part of the local church, for us to be followers of Jesus Christ, for us to be part of God's kingdom, for us to be engaged in helping others know about Jesus' love, we have to be people of faith who look to the future and depend upon God and, and just have a resolution and a willingness to do the hard stuff. Um, Haggai 2, uh, here's an example. Who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? Yet now be strong 
O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord, Be strong, O Joshua, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you. So the, the, the first word or encouragement was that they were putting themselves before God and his agenda. Secondly, they were getting fixated on the past. They were not looking to the future. Uh, and third, uh, revol- the, the third thing, so this is in Haggai 2, verse 10, uh, revolves around confession of sins. Um, one of the things that, that God had said earlier on in the book was just that be, because they were not obeying God, that God had withheld a lot of material blessings from them. And so there was this thinking that, well, now that we're starting to build the temple again, the material blessings should just flow in. Uh, and that wasn't the case. And what was happening, and so Haggai calls them out, is that you're still engaged in sin, and it's affecting, it's affecting your work. You cannot give someone your holiness or health, Haggai explains, is kind of a summary, but you can give someone your uncleanness and sickness. And because the people were unclean, their work was unclean. Uh, Zechariah, another prophet, had preached his message, we know from the date stamps, just a month before, um, uh, that um, God is able to cleanse their sins if people would only repent. God was able to cleanse the, the sins if they would repent. Once the nation has been cleansed, God promised to bless them. It is not enough to do God's work. We must do it with clean hands and a pure heart. Unconfessed sin is one of the greatest obstacles to accomplishing the Lord's work. Fourth, fourth item. Uh, this was um, chapter 2, verse 20 to the end. This one was directed uh, specifically at leadership. And so leadership team and team leaders, this, this word is very specifically for you. And that is um, to, to not succumb to unbelief. Uh, the, the leadership was, I don't know, getting tired or discouraged, and they were slipping into unbelief. And so Haggai says, do not give in to unbelief, keep the faith, and press on. God is still on the throne. God is still in charge. His plans will still come to fruition. Um, based on, on kind of what Haggai says, it's, it's kind of reasonable to assume that, that they just started to get discouraged and lose faith and lose their momentum. Don't be afraid of these kingdoms. I will overcome them and destroy them. As for you, Zerubbabel, you are a signet, a very precious jewel to me. I have chosen you. Don't give up. Uh, a signet was, was a ring um, with kind of a symbol carved in it, and you would use it to, to mark your documents and stamp that they were official. And it, it really indicated honor and authority. And so God is, is speaking to Zerubbabel, and he says, I've given you the honor of this task, but I've also given you the authority for this task to, to finish the temple. It was an honor to serve in that role, and he needed to step into that. So what work has God called you to? Uh, are you still going strong, or have you become discouraged? Have you lost your momentum? Have you given up? Have you looked at enemies or even competition and gotten discouraged? What did you start but not finish? And beware of the sins that, that hold us back. Sins of putting ourselves ahead of God and His agenda. Sins of looking back, not looking forward. Sins of unconfessed sin. And sins of unbelief. Every day we are tempted to place ourselves first. Every day. Especially in, in seasons like this with the coronavirus. Every day we're tempted to look back and not forward. We remember the good old days. And, and so we fail to have hope and faith in the future and, and what God is leading us to. Every day we're tempted to harbor our own sins and not confess them to one another, and such actions only inhibit our gospel efforts. 
And every day we're tempted to lose the faith and, and give up, but we must press on. Matthew 6, verse 33. Seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you as, as well. To love the Lord, to help others love the Lord is too big and too worthy for us to give up. Amen. Let's pray. And then you guys can collect your toilet paper on your way out the door. Heavenly Father, thank you for uh, the truth that is your word. And, and God, we worship you this morning just in the timeliness of it. And how a prophet from 2,500 years ago can speak truth into today, into Nebraska, and, and how we can respond to the coronavirus and people's reaction to it. Lord, I pray that we would be a people of faith. I pray that we would be a people of wisdom and wise prudence and cleanliness. But I also pray that we would be people of generosity and courage and boldness uh, and restraint. And Lord, that we would look at the crisis before us with your gospel lens to say, what's the gospel opportunity in this? I pray for... Uh, this church, that you would keep us healthy, that you would keep us strong, Lord, but that you would also keep us focused on you and on your agenda. We love you, Jesus, in your name. Amen.